Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Hey, welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I almost feel like I need to do a Ric Flair. You know what I mean? Like, woo, because I'm pumped up to have my guy, Anthony McNeil, in the studio with me to talk about law enforcement-related topics, to talk about his mastermind, to talk about what he's doing. So you are a podcast host of the Off-Duty Podcast, which I've listened to before I wanted to bring you on. I wanted to have some working knowledge. Super cool. I know that you've started your, you're the CEO and founder of Everyday Heroes Podcast, where you take a group of individuals first responders, you put them out and you help support each other in the podcast realm. That's right. Yeah. 20 year veteran of the force. Yep. 20. Man, you made it. So that's cool. So you're a hostage negotiator. No, those 20 years flew by, man. They flew by. Believe me. Yeah. FTO, husband, father, and used to be avid golfer, but now that he's retired, he never golfs anymore. I'm too busy podcasting. Well, let's get into it. What are you doing? Tell me about yourself a little bit. What are you up to, man? Yeah, man. Again, thank you for having me on the, on your show, Brock. I appreciate it. Like you said, man, I'm just staying busy. I retired eight years ago after serving 20 years with the city of Southfield in Michigan. And, you know, while I was there, like you said, I was a detective, a hostage negotiator, FTO. I spent most of my time working patrol and the last five years of my career, I ended up working inside, working the front desk because of some health issues, which I freaking hated. I have a story that I'll, I'll share with you here in a little bit about that whole scenario and why I was put in that position. But, you know, outside of, uh, you know, just being a husband, a father, you know, I've had a janitorial business that my wife and I have owned for the last 26 years. That's actually how I got involved in law enforcement, believe it or not. You know, right now, you know, my two girls, they're both grown and out of the house. So it's just the wife and I. And, you know, I started this podcasting thing back in February of 2020. And it was supposed to be a TV show, but it was hard to get officers to go on camera and talk about themselves. So I started getting listening to podcasts and it hit me one day. I, I got into Instagram and I started seeing all these, quote, Instagram cops and people that weren't afraid to put themselves out there. And I was like, man, I can do this. Start a podcast. You know, these people aren't afraid to, to put themselves out there. So let me reach out to some and see if I can interview them. And, you know, that's how the podcast was born. Nowadays, that's what I spend my time doing, the, the podcast. And I have the Everyday Heroes Podcast Net, which is a group of first responder podcasts. There's a couple of firefighters. There's a couple of firefighter wives, a couple of nurses, some law enforcement officers. We all have podcasts and we've all come together. And the whole network is for law enforcement and first responders and those that support us. So you make it sound like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab a mic. I'm going to grab a camera. I'm going to push record and we'll get this out there. Do you understand the trepidation, the fear, the worry that people have to start a podcast? When I started this, I had no idea that it wasn't so much work. I thought it was literally just that you push play and start talking. But it's a lot more to it that I've come to find out. And, you know, with the editing and trying to promote it and get guests and all that stuff, it's a lot involved. But, man, I love doing it. It keeps me busy. Like you know, I've been retired now for eight years and it keeps my brain fresh. It keeps me 
active in a sense, you know, giving me things to do uh, because I didn't want to go out and do the whole security job and all that stuff after I retired, you know. So this keeps me keeps me busy. It keeps me in the profession, even though I'm not technically in the profession. It keeps me in contact with a lot of people in the profession. And I just love it, man. It's a lot of work, but you know, hopefully one day all this hard work will pay off and I'll get that Joe Rogan money, you know? So tell me this, man, tell me this. What has been the hardest transition from going from police officer, from cop to podcast guy, right? To let's just say the off-duty podcast. What would you say? Honestly, man, I'll be honest with you. Police work for me, I didn't allow it to become my identity. So when I left, it wasn't hard for me to go. I, I loved the job while I was there. Those 20 years, I have a ton of memories, you know, met a lot of cool people, but I never allowed police work to identify who I was. So the day that I walked out of that building for the last time, it was just like I was walking out and headed home and it didn't faze me one bit. I mean, you know, I, I miss the people that I work with, but all the other nonsense that comes with it, not at all. So, you know, like I say, when I got into the podcasting, this was something that I could do to keep me busy. And I didn't think that it would grow into what it is. You know, right now the podcast is is really gaining ground. Um, I just recently found out I got nominated in New Zealand for one best international podcast. It's cool, man. It's a lot of fun. You know, I get to meet cool people like yourself. So, but yeah, man, that transition for me, it wasn't hard at all because like I said, police work was not who I was. It was what I did. So it was just stepping out and stepping into something new. Well, Anthony, you had your mind right, because for me, see, I medically retired from an injury. I was run over. My story gets crazy. But for me, that was really hard. And I feel like my mind wasn't ready to go. I was in it. I was at the best part of my career. I was working undercover. I was doing specialty units. I was loving the police work. I wasn't getting in all the issues with command staff. And I felt like it was my vibe, you know? And then when I medically retired, I felt like, boom, they just cut me short. And I had unfinished, unresolved business to do. And so I went home and got major depression. And like, I'm trying to find out who I am. I'm trying to find my identity again. I don't have this uniform. I don't have this take-home car. It was rough. That transition for you was easy. For me, it wasn't. So how did you not get into it? And how did you separate? Because I think a lot of people need to know that. I'll go back to, like I said earlier, police work was not what I wanted to do. When I was a kid, it was not something I wanted to do. My whole life, I wanted to own a business. And I'll go back to the beginning. After I left college, I came home for a year and I was working in a restaurant that I used to work in. And I knew that I wanted to start a business, but I was 25, 26, whatever it was. I didn't have the finances or the, the credit or anything to go out and do it. So I was working at this restaurant and one day the chief of police comes in and I just happened to be standing at, at the front of the restaurant when he comes in and we start talking and he goes, have you ever thought about being a cop? And when he said that, in my mind, the first thing I thought was, hell no, I never thought about being a cop, but that's how I can get the money I need to start my business, you know? So I wouldn't applied, and I was a cadet for six months and six months later I was in the academy and I ended up leaving the department in 95. I started in 92. I left in 95 to start my janitorial business and I was gone for 14 months, got the business up and running. And, you know, the chief calls me one day and says, hey, I'd like for you to come back to work. Like you, man, I, I loved the job while I was on it, you know. So once I got the business up and going, 
to get that invitation to come back and, and do what I really enjoyed, you know, I was all over it. So it was a no brainer, you know, but I kind of experienced not to the level that you did, you know, when you had to leave. But like I said, my last five years, because of health issues, I was forced to go inside and work the front desk. And I freaking hated it. It changed me as a person. So you had that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I love working patrol. You know, I, I love being out interacting with people. And when I went inside to work the front desk, I don't know if, if, if you've ever worked the front desk in the police department, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you feel like a secretary, you know, and you deal with a, a lot of nonsense that you don't deal with on the street. If I can just for share a story with you real quick, Brock, for five years, I was miserable. I started to hate people. It was the last day that I was working as a police officer, is when I found out why God put me in that position. About eight or nine months prior to me retiring, a lady comes in with her 12-year-old son, and she says, I'm done with him. He hits me. He hits my mom. I'm leaving him here. You do whatever you want to do with him. And I was already having a bad day. So I took this young man to the side, and I looked at him, and I said, hit me. He clenches his fist and he starts crying. And I'm like, what are you crying for? You were a man when you were punching on your mother and your grandmother. Now you got a man in your face and you want to sit and cry. Go ahead. Take one swing. I'm going to let you get one in. Then I'm going to wear your ass out. He looks at me and he starts crying. And long story short, we end up talking for about 30 minutes. And it was the typical story. No male figure in his life. Mom was doing the best she could do. And the last thing I said to this young man was, look, I don't know you. You don't know me. But if I get an inkling that you put your hands on another human being, I will personally track you down and beat your ass. And the day that I retired, they were having a party for me in the station. He and his mom came in and she brought me a card and said, can I give you a hug? And she says, I just want you to know that since that day you spoke to my son, he's doing better in school. He's more respectful. He doesn't hit me. He stopped hitting my mom. And it was at that moment I realized that the last five years of hell that I went through with my health and being on that front desk, that was the reason why I was put in that position. That made it all worthwhile. You know, all those five years of pure hell and agony, it was all summed up in that one moment. But you're like, God, why did you have to wait five years, right? Oh, man, I get it. And you know what's crazy is our stories are so polar opposite because you're saying things that are making me giggle. Like you're like, I love patrol. I have probably said on this podcast a thousand times, I hated patrol. I hated the nuances of the stupid calls, the dog barking, the dog pooped in my yard. Hey, can you go tell my neighbor to turn his music down? His car is parked in front of my house. Are you kidding me like come on resolve this on your own please the way i countered that is i spent most of my career working midnight so when you work midnights everybody you deal with is either drunk mental an asshole or just stupid i didn't get a lot of barking dogs and, and car complaints there, you know <laughs> so now that we're on that anthony for the listeners just to entertain them for a second give me your funniest incident that ever happened to you working graveyards oh man i know i threw you for a loop there that's that's tough to come up with i'll give you a story it's not really funny it's actually a little weird one night it was sunday night my two partners that i work with we had been up golfing all day and we were both all tired so when we got in we said if it's slow let's we had this abandoned nursing home that we used to go behind and, and try to catch a couple hours of z's 
So we're back there that night. We're sleeping. We all wake up. It's Sunday morning about 730. And we're just talking. And all of a sudden, we all get quiet. And my one buddy, he looks at, he goes, did you guys see that? And myself and the other guy are like, yeah. And I kid you not, bro, the three of us are wide awake. We're looking into the building, which is abandoned. And we see this little old lady walking through the building in this plaid nightdress. And she just disappears. I kid you not. Now, here's the funny part to that story. Our buddy Sam was not working that night. Monday night, we come in to work the next night. Sam comes to us. He goes, hey, I've been up all day with the kids. I haven't had any sleep. I'm going to go over to the nursing home and catch a couple hours of Z's. Can you guys cover for me? We never told Sam what we saw. We go through. We cover runs for him. The next morning, we all meet up for breakfast. Sam comes in, and he's dead quiet. And we're like, what's wrong with you? And he goes, man, y'all going to think I'm crazy. But I was over at the nursing home last night. I woke up. And there's this old lady in this plaid nightgown standing in front of the car, and she just flew over the top of the car. I kid you not. I know it sounds crazy, but I kid you not. I can give you the number to my three buddies, and you can call and ask them. I know it sounds crazy, but we all witnessed it. You know what's crazy? There, there are those stories. There are those incidents that happen that you tell the story, and people don't believe you. I've never shared this story out on this podcast, so this may be good. We get called to a cemetery, one o'clock in the morning, okay? And the only way into the cemetery is over the 12-foot gates. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. First of all, I, so we gotta park our patrol car, so you can't come in with lights. So we park on the street, my partner and I, Climb this big old metal fence. And you know what I mean? You, you know how you freak yourself out. And so as we're walking up, we can see a light about 100 yards. And the light's kind of moving, flickering back and forth. I'm like, hey, 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 that ain't, that ain't normal. That ain't a right light. And then we're shining. And on the statues, there's like lays, like, you know, the necklace lays that somebody has put on these statues. And there's hats on them and there's clothes on other ones. And I'm like looking around like, what? This is not normal. And of course, it's a one-way street in. And we get to the door where they're doing the cremations. And I see someone behind a tree with a flashlight moving. And I'm like, what? This kid who's 18 years old pops out of the tree holding a hammer in one hand and a sickle in the other one. So, of course, we draw down on this kid and we separate. We're about 10 feet from each other. And the kid looks at us and starts running at us. Was he on a death mission or what? <laughs> that, and what was crazy was you talked about God telling you at the end of your five years, I heard, don't shoot. He was coming at me and I'm literally going to pull the trigger. And he stops about two feet from me. And puts his hands up and goes, don't shoot, don't shoot, yeah. And drops the sickle and the hammer and says some other stuff that made me like realize that he was sane as possible. And I'm like, man, I'm going to tell you what. People don't understand how split-second decisions, because had I not listened or not heard, I would have killed this kid. Come to find out, mental illness he had escaped from his parents' house. His parents had done a pretty good job keeping him medicated. He escaped out. He was on one of his benders and almost got his life taken. 
let's flip with that a little bit, if you don't mind. Like, what we see in the news right now is not really what is being portrayed in the force. Behind the thin blue line, there are bad cops. Let's be honest. I know, Anthony, you saw them. I saw them. Everybody knew who they are. But there's also bad employees everywhere. In every single profession I've ever worked, there's been a bad employee. There's bad doctors. There's bad attorneys. There's bad airline pilots. There's just bad people out there in general. And they get through the system and they make it through and they get the badge on or they get to drive big red fire trucks or whatever it is. But do you feel personally, Anthony, that the stigma that police officers are getting today is warranted? Absolutely not. With the exception of George Floyd, you know, that whole incident with those guys and around that case, that was wrong. Those guys were just flat out wrong. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Unfortunately, a lot of the other incidents that we've seen, I had family members and all kind of other people making all kind of crazy comments. You know, the young lady that was killed, I think it was in Ohio. She was the one that had the girl up against the car and she was going to stab her. I can't remember her name, but the officer ended up shooting her. I mean, I had family members ask, well, why couldn't he shoot a warning shot? Why couldn't he shoot her in the leg? You know, had he done that, that little girl probably would have gotten stabbed. She already stabbed one person. Right. You know, and I'm saying the shooting was totally justified, you know. So I think a lot of it just comes from ignorance. People don't know what they don't know. And in social media, to me, plays a large part in that. I think since 2007, when Facebook came out and social media became, came about, I think it's really turned, I, don't, I shouldn't even say it turned, it really exposed the stupidity that goes on in the world because it gave everybody a platform and not everyone needs a platform. Some people just need to sit down and shut up and not be heard from because they don't take time to educate themselves on things, but they always have an opinion on everything. And social media, along with the media, and how the media covers things, they'll give you that headline to draw you in, but they know probably 3% of the people are actually going to read the story and go back and fact check and see and try to find the, the really what happened. So they'll put that big headline out there. And I was a perfect example of that. This is a little bit off, off subject here, but it, it kind of relates. When I got hired, like I said, when I was working in that restaurant, the chief police came in. I took a test just like every other officer. I went through the whole hiring process just like everybody else. I ended up finishing number three on the list to get hired. About three weeks after I was out of the FTO program, I get a call at home to come to the station. There was a reporter that was doing a story on minority officers in the suburbs. I get to the station. There's no reporter, but there was a photographer there. He takes a bunch of pictures, never talked to anybody, anything. He leaves. About four days later, my mom calls me and says, hey, did you see your picture on the front page of the newspaper? No. So I run and grab this paper and I start reading it. And the headline is in real big letters, minority officers in high demand in the suburbs. I start reading the story and it says that Officer McNeil was working as a cook at this deli. Chief Thomas came into this restaurant. He says, you want to be a cop? Officer McNeil says, yes. He goes, be in my office tomorrow, gives me a gun and a badge and poof, here I am. I'm like, where did they get that story from? You know, I took tests just like everybody else out of hundreds of people. I finished number three on the list and blah, blah, blah. But my whole point is 
You can't believe everything that you see in the media. And unfortunately, people don't nowadays don't research things on their own. They go by hearsay and what is fed to them. They go by everything that's on Facebook, which is total garbage most of the time. And as a result, our profession is suffering because, and I'm going to blame the profession also. And the reason why I say that is because we in law enforcement, we need to learn how to use social media to our advantage. It's being used against us, but we need to learn how to use it to help us. And I think that a lot of departments, once you get rid of some of these older guys that have been there for 30 years that's not into social media and things like that, and you start getting some of the younger people coming through, you may start to see that change. But we, as law enforcement, we really have to learn how to use it. And I'll give you another perfect example. I'm I'm in in Michigan, just outside of Detroit. Um, Last summer, we had a shooting in Detroit. An officer ended up killing a guy. And before Within 45 minutes, there was already protesters marching down Woodward and all this stuff. Thank God we had a chief that understood how the media works. Within minutes of that march starting, he released the video of everything. It was clear as day. The officer was totally justified. They're arresting one guy. This guy comes off the porch, pulls a gun out of his hands, and tries to shoot the officers. But that's an example where we have to learn to flip the script and start using the media in our favor. And the only way we can do that, I think, is to start to control the narrative and putting things out there. Just lay it all out on the line and let people see it instead of trying to be politically correct and and please everybody and all of that stuff. Just put it out there. It is what it is. You know, you're going to offend some people. So what? I totally agree with that. And I love the body cams. You're being recorded no matter what. In every situation, you're being recorded. Today, I mean, think about everybody's got a phone. They're recording you. They're recording everything you say, all your movements, your body language. Oh, my goodness. So I love that. But I agree with you. But we got to break that culture of, hey, we don't talk about it. Everything's between our guys. Dude, I'm so tired of that crap and hearing and all my people dying, right? Hey, I'm not going to talk about my mental illness. I'm going to take it to the grave because I'm tough. And then then what? What happens to your family? I mean, it's, it's silly that we can't break that stigma and start talking about this stuff. I'll tell you something else, man, that I, I honestly believe. I have this thing for politicians. I think all politicians are full of you know what. And I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you are. If you're a politician, you're full of full of it. And I say that because... When they enter politics, they, well, this doesn't even apply to today's politicians. Maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago that it might have applied. But I think most people that entered politics back then, they got into it because they really wanted to make a difference. Nowadays, people get into politics for the money and the power. It's not about making a change. It's about the money and the power. I mean, you just look at all the members of Congress that come in If they're not a millionaire when they come in, they're certainly a millionaire when they leave, times 10. So when you start having these incidents involving law enforcement, you have the politicians that jump on board because it's food for their base. It's all stuff that they can continue to use, and it's on both sides. We Both sides do it. They have certain topics that they will bring up that they know will fire up their base and keep them 
sending those five and ten dollar donations in, giving them money, and it keeps them in power. It keeps them rich. What would be some issues, underlying issues a politician would use? You're talking gun control. Again, both sides. You can look at gun control. You can look at even something as simple as abortion. You can look at anything. They all use it to keep their side. In my opinion, these politicians don't give a damn. If I went to a politician today and says, hey, the sky is blue over here. I'm getting $10 million I want to donate to you. The sky is blue today. You come behind me tomorrow and say, hey, I got $20 million I want to give you if you tell, say the sky is red. They'll say the sky is red. I agree with that. Obviously, African-American, talking to a Caucasian guy, both police officers. My question is the Black Lives Matter. Okay, all this, I don't understand it. And maybe because I'm not African-American, I'm not, haven't felt that. But I have been a police officer, and I've worked with every culture out there. So I guess my issue is I don't even understand what they're trying to say. Here's my opinion on all of that. Again, it goes back to money and power. You have to look at who's behind these movements. There's a bunch of attorneys. If you notice on, on all of these shootings, you see the same attorneys representing the families. Enough said. It goes back to the money. Go back and look at any press conference involving these shootings. You see the same attorneys. So they're going to continue to use, just like the politicians are using these topics to enrich themselves, so are these activists. They're doing the same things. You know, look at the founders of Black Lives Matter. You know, they're, they're getting rich off of it, you know? And what have they really done other than hold a bunch of protests? Nothing. Which is my issue. And, and don't get me wrong. There is racism in this world. Racism does exist. I've been had racial issues with people. You know, there are racist cops. There are racist doctors. Racism is, exists. Now, I can honestly say in my 20 years of being a cop, there is not one incident that I can point to where I said that race had anything to do with the outcome. Because like I explained to my family and other people, when officers get dressed to go out on the road each and every day, they don't go out with the intention of killing somebody or arresting somebody because they're a certain color. Unfortunately, that's the job. I've been involved in a shooting. When I went to work that night, my intention was not to go out and shoot somebody. You know, it's just part of the job, unfortunately. And you have people that are taking advantage of it and getting rich off of it. Because they know that as long as this country stays divided, there will always be those people in power and enriched. If everybody came, you go back and you think about what happened after on September 12th, after the Twin Towers came down. What was this country like? Unity. Everybody was one. It was America. Now it's Democrats and Republicans. It's conservatives and liberals. It's this and it's that. And why? Because as long as we're divided, certain people stay in power and they stay enriched. So I can guarantee you Black Lives Matters and all these other organizations out there, they can make a difference, but it's not in the way that they're going about doing it. It starts with going into the homes and changing the culture of certain people in society. Let's face it. There's a segment of society that we have to deal with on a day to day basis as law enforcement officers that are pieces of you know what. And until that segment of society is changed, you're still going to always have issues in this country, in this world.
And it has nothing to do with race. Now, again, there are racial problems in this country. But at the end of the day, it comes down to one color. And that's green. That's the way I look at it. So I want to take you back really fast, if you don't mind, to this George Floyd incident. When it sparked, and you are right, it was completely, it was handled inappropriately. I mean, it was a debacle. Let's be honest. It was still why he's laying on the guy's neck. Why is he handcuffed? But the crazy thing is I always come back to there's policies for that. Where were his his other police officer? Why wasn't anybody communicating with him? Hey, stop. You know, because at least in my my department, you handcuff somebody, situation's over. There's no more striking. There's no more choking. There's no more sitting on some dude's neck. Where are the people that says, hey, dude, enough's enough. Because we get fired up. I know there's been times where you've gotten fired up arresting someone. You're like, hey, I need a second. Can you take him to the car? I need a break. You know? Here's my opinion of that and my theory. If you go back and you look at, well, I forgot his name, the officer. Uh, I can't even remember his name that was involved in the Floyd incident. If you go back and you look at his career history, the guy has been a screw up at other departments. He should have been out. He had no business being a police officer. People within the department didn't even like him. That's come out. That's public knowledge. He was not like the guys that he worked with. I was an FTO. And if I can fault the profession for anything, it would be this. We have to stop allowing people to make it through simply because we need the numbers. There's money invested in them, whatever the reason is. And I can share a story with when I was an FTO, I had a young man that I recycled because he was a terrible driver. He One night we get a call of a panhandler, guys in front of a drugstore asking for money. When we pull up, you know, this officer is driving and the gentleman is sitting right there on the curb. I say, hey, there he is right there. All of a sudden, this officer turns the wheel and the push bumpers are right in this guy's face. You know, he's paddling backwards, trying not to get ran over. And I'm looking at the, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You know, well, fast forward a couple of months. We're at a hotel at a big fight. A couple of guys are put on the ground and they're in cuffs and everything. This officer pulls up. Don't know what he's looking at. But had there not been another officer standing there, two guys would have got ran over. Now, I recycled this guy, and I recommended that he did not pass the FTO program. Outvoted, and he made it through. Fast forward a couple of years, this gentleman, a city, a neighboring city is in a pursuit, comes into our city. This officer gets involved. The suspects bail out. They're in a foot pursuit. This officer is still in his car. Next thing you know, one of the suspects is ran over and dead. Situational awareness. Yeah, I mean... Should he been there? No. But, you know, I covered my butt. You know, I, I did my part. I spoke my piece and said that this guy has no business being in uniform. But, you know, because he had some family members or whatever that worked in the city or, this, you know, they put him through. And I think that's something that we in the profession need to stop, you know. Dude, that's so funny because those two comments that you made for keeping him, dude, we got a lot of money invested in this kid. Right. We got a lot of money, city money, went to the academy, a lot of time invested in him. Let's groom him. Listen, there are dudes, there are women out there that should not be carrying firearms. End of story. But what I don't understand is, hey, let me as the chief put you, Anthony, in charge of this young man. But I'm going to trump you and say he's fit for duty. And we see that over and over. And it's unfortunate, man. But, you know, like uh, at my old department now. It's turned over big time. It's probably 75% new people since I've retired and probably 75% under seven years. 
And it's so bad now that you have, once you get two years on the job, you're an FTO. So you have the blind leading the blind. And I was watching TV one day and there was a news story came on. There was a pursuit in, in, you know, in the city department that I used to work in. And they end up ramming the car and, and everything. And they, they show the body cam of one of the officers and a young officer. I don't think she had much time, maybe two years on the job. She's at the suspect's window and she has her service weapon in her hand and she's pounding on the windshield or on the side window trying to bust it out. And I'm just dropping my hands in my head. I'm like, oh my God, what is she doing? You know, but when you have young officers training young officers, that's what you get, you know? So police work is hard enough. It really is hard enough. I think that departments are starting to change a lot of their practices and, and things towards social media and just trying to be more open and get things out there. But I think that we still have a long way to go. I think we still wait until things happen to try to respond to all the negativity instead of getting ahead of it. And I think once we learn how to do that, I think we'll be better, the profession will be better. And I think this will all blow over. I think in time, it'll go back to normal. But unfortunately, we're just in this cycle right now. And I hope so. So let's end with this, Anthony. If you don't mind, man, I want to. I think if we implemented your 3D process, we'd be good to go. I know that you have this 3D process. Teach us, man. If you don't mind, I'd like to close out with this. I know it's document, discuss, and deploy. And this is something that you teach on your mastermind class. You are a coach. You're, you're out there really trying to help people grow. So if you don't mind, would you have a problem? Would you like to share that, the 3D process? Sure. I'm a certified life coach now. And I work with first responders and I try to help guys and gals learn how to cope with the stress of the job, the day to day stresses of the job. Because as you said earlier, you know, we like to play Iron Man and try to keep everything inside and think that we're all okay. And a lot of us are going through it, but we, for whatever reason, you know, we don't want to show that side for fear of weakness, fear of what others may think. And so have you. And I always said the one thing I wish that I would have done differently during my time on the job was kept a journal. So I started thinking, you know, what can I do to help these guys and girls identify early on that this stress is happening to them? And I came up with this idea to create a journal. And the journal basically allows the officers to document each day, the three Ds, document, discuss, and deploy. The first D is for document, and that's where the journal comes into play. You go in at the end of each shift, There's you write in how much sleep you got that night. You write in you know, your stress levels at the beginning of your shift, at the end of your shift. You document the most stressful event of your day. You should do this before going home because as we know in law enforcement, we take this stuff home with us because we never deal with it. And that causes a whole nother set of problems, you know? So at least this way you can identify and recognize that there is an issue and that these stressful events are occurring to you and hopefully you can deal with them. So the disgust comes into play where on a weekly basis during the mastermind, we get together and we discuss everyone's journal, the events that they've gone through, you know, that week. And it's a platform for everyone just to get it out and get it out and get it off their chest. And again, recognize it before it manifests into something more. And the last part of it is to deploy. And this is where you have your peer-to-peer -peer sessions and everyone comes up with a plan for that week. So when those situations come up, you know, you can have a method to blow off some steam. You know, we put some kind of action plan in place to help you go out and, and just better cope. 
when these situations come up. And I think the journal is a good thing. You know, I, I just started doing this and I'm trying to get the word out there. Um, I think it's going to catch on. I hope it catches on because I'm in the process. I would like to turn it into an app so that more people can have access to it. That's the plan. I'm also going to get it on Amazon. And I wanted to start doing some peer-to-peer coaching and with departments and things like that and have, try to get some into uh, local departments. I think it's something that we, as first responders, we really have to start addressing. I was fortunate in that, again, I didn't come out like many like yourselves dealing with depression and the PTSD and things like that because I had other avenues. And if I could just end on, on this one thing, if there's anyone out there that's in law enforcement or that's a first responder or that, that's thinking about coming into this arena, like I said earlier, don't allow the profession to dictate who you are. Because when you do that and you deal with these day-to-day stresses, like Brock said, when he lost that, he lost his identity and he went through the depression. And I lost two coworkers to suicide, you know, and I wish that I would have had something like this journal back then. To this day, I don't know what they were going through, but it had to have been something to get to that point, you know? So I just want to just say, you know, guys, remember, this is what you do day to day. You are so much more than just a police officer. You are so much more than just a fireman. You are so much more than just a nurse. You know, you have important jobs, but those jobs do not, they do not dictate who you are. You have a greater purpose. You have other things that you are a part of that makes you who you are. Don't allow this one thing to dictate that because again, in Brock's case, when if it's ever taken away, it can cause major issues for you if they're not addressed. So, you know, I just want to end on that and just get that out there. No, that's amazing, Anthony. I appreciate you, the podcast host of the Off Duty Podcast. I'd like you guys to go check it out. Go like his stuff. Leave a message for him. Anthony, what's another way that we can get a hold of you? I know you're on Instagram and Facebook under... The easiest way just to go to the offdutypodcast.com. You can go to everything from there, to all my social media, all that stuff. You can either go there or you can go to the everydayheroespodcastnetwork.com and you can check out some of the other shows and everything that I have on the network and... You can also connect with me through there. All the profiles on there with all our social media and everything. I can never remember what my handles are for all that stuff anyway. So So it's easier just say, go to the website. You've been blessed with Anthony McNeil today. Thank you for chasing the vase. Thank you for being on the podcast. For all those law enforcement, first responders, military vets, doctors, nurses, we love you. We support you. Thank you for going through it with us. We appreciate the grind. See you next time. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Brock. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.